Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. First Corinthians chapter 14, and we will be picking it up at verse 26. When a building is going to be constructed, there must be a building plan, or everything will be in chaos. Imagine that you're building a house and you have, you have one set of plans and the lumber company has another set of plans. Okay, And then when the lumber company delivers that, those original building materials, they're not a completely wrong trust package, not even close. Or imagine buying a puzzle. And you get it home and you open the box and you discover that somehow the manufacturer placed within that box half of a, another puzzle <laughs> and then the other half was a different puzzle. You find out that you bought a box of chaos. You could say that the church in Corinth <laughs> was a box of chaos. <laughs> Therefore, having dealt generally with the matter of speaking in tongues and its proper use in a public gathering, Paul now turns to the more specific subject of how several of the questions which he has been addressing in the previous sections relate to the public worship gatherings. Follow the way of love, he said, and we would follow that with in an orderly way, and I think that would be a pretty good summary statement of this 14th chapter. Paul wants the Corinthians to know their worship gatherings must be conducted in such a way in order to um, avoid confusion and to ensure that the Lord Jesus is clearly being portrayed in that which they did in that church service. Those desiring to share their gifts must submit to the greater purpose of revealing Jesus, since a primary goal of the Christian worship service is to honor Christ, bearing witness to his self-giving love, his character, and his care for his people. In the remainder of chapter 14, Paul gives some practical advice on how to accomplish the necessary order needed to reveal Christ at church gatherings. His main concern is that unbelievers will come under conviction that would ultimately lead to salvation and believers will be built up and edified. And that can only happen if Christ's is being revealed. And if he won't be revealed, and if, it's, if it is because people will persist on parading themselves rather than submitting to the Lord, well, it's just going to be a mess. <laughs> and that is what we have in Corinth and is what Paul is addressing and is what he's wanting to bring some instruction and correction so that there would be orderliness, orderliness would come in order that Christ would be honored in their gatherings. So let's pick it up at verse 26. 
1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. After what Paul has been saying, what we looked at last week, he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Highlighting the diversity of God's giftings, Paul now summarizes what he has previously said with, what then shall we say? brothers and sisters, and in doing, no, he's, in doing that, he sets the stage for some final instruction on the need for order in the worship service. As we have previously noted, the Corinthian church was having problems in their public gatherings because everything was in disarray. Their worship service had become a free-for-all. And confusion was winning the day. Many were, as Paul just tells us in verse 26, many were speaking in tongues, talking, praying, and singing their own personal songs. But the problem was they were all doing it at the same time. Try to imagine that. Each person wanting to get in their latest inspiration and spiritual insight. Everyone was just doing their own thing. Pride, self-centeredness, super spirituality, and division prevailed instead of respect and humility, unity, edification, and, of course, God's love. Decency and orderliness were totally lacking. The reasons isn't hard to see, and we've seen them already. They were using their spiritual gifts to please themselves and not to help their fellow believers. You might say that their model was exhibition instead of edification. And so this whole section between verses 26 and verse 40, the end of chapter 14, it is framed by the same statement, only put in two different ways. Look at verse 26 again. We find these words, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And then if you look at the very end of verse 40, it says that everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's the bookend of this second half of the chapter where Paul's going to deal with the orderliness that is required in, in a worship service. As Paul lists his list of worship elements that he gives us here, I don't believe are intended to be exhaustive or to indicate that each of these particular activities must be present in every worship service. I think it does, however, interestingly enough, connect really well with what Luke gives us in Acts chapter 2, the description of that early church and how they were functioning. Terms like teaching and fellowship and the Lord's Supper and prayer and miracles, sharing of finances, praising God and evangelism, a good match between these. Let's go on, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak. 
one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Because all activities done in corporate worship must be done to help build up all the believers, Paul described how the gift of tongues can still be useful. He is not putting it down. He is saying it's useful. God's given it, but here's how it's useful, how it needs to be used. He had already said that tongues are not beneficial without an interpretation back in verse 5, and certainly not when everyone is speaking at once, he told us in verse 23. So tongues can be edifying to everyone if a few simple rules are followed. First, if anyone in the congregation Paul says, has the gift and can speak in a tongue, then only two, no more than three, should do that. The other requirement for use of tongues in public worship is that there must be someone to interpret. Either the person speaking can interpret for themselves, if they have that particular gift of interpretation, or another person with the gift should interpret what was said and make that brought into a known language so that the church can be edified. If those with the gift of tongues know that they do not have the gift of interpretation and they also realize that there's nobody else in the group on that particular gathering that doesn't either, Paul says, then you need to be quiet. And I think what he brings in here is what we talked about last week, that private public distinction. I think Paul is saying, if you know you don't have interpretation and you're just, you know, um, being led to say something, and if it's not something that is intended for the entire church, just something that you're doing in your own prior private prayer language, you can do that in the public gathering, but just to yourself. And we talked about that last week, kind of like under your breath. And, and that way, Paul says, then you're blessed and God is blessed. But there's no distraction taking place at that point. Now look at verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So Paul also placed regulations on the gift of prophecy as well. Although this was the particular gift, if you remember, that Paul had recommended to the believers back in verse 1 and again in verse 5. And he realizes, I think, that it also needs to be regulated by love, edification, and order. And so just as only two or three people should be allowed to speak in tongues, Paul says only two or three prophets, those who have been given the gift, should speak. Once again, let me just clarify, when we talk about prophecy here, it's not foretelling the future. It is proclaiming the word of the Lord, a message from God in that sense, to edify the believers, the, the congregation. And then he says that everyone else, while that prophet is doing that, everyone else is to weigh carefully what is being said. The word for weigh here means to judge, to discern, and to evaluate carefully. And what is it that they're to evaluate? That which was being said 
truly being a message from God and how would they be able to do that? Well, did it line up with what they had at the time, the Old Testament scripture? And that's how they could tell and discern. Verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. And so in order for the worship service to continue in an orderly manner, further guidelines are needed. These words, I think, might have been kind of somewhat directed toward those who may have had the tendency to dominate conversation or to dominate with their particular giftings. We've all been around folks who can have that tendency, haven't we? And so Paul is kind of directing that, I think, toward that person, but to everyone else as well. Paul wants those with the gift of prophecy to follow a protocol of generosity. In other words, people recognize you're not the only one. There are others around who've been gifted and, and, and need to be allowed to speak as well. Don't control and dominate the service. He wants them to follow this protocol, generosity towards one another. He says if someone receives a revelation while another was speaking, then that first speaker is to stop. And then he says prophets were to wait for their turn so that everyone might be instructed and encouraged. So I was thinking about this. Well, how did that work? I'm trying to imagine myself in a first Corinthian service and all this commotion is going on anyway, right? Everybody's doing their thing and, and someone's over here sitting down and he's gone, going and going and going with the prophecy, a word from God. And somebody else is, believes he just received a word from God, wants to share that. So was there some kind of signal? <laughs> like... <laughs> I told the folks last night when we were attending Bible College, Maryland, they literally, we, they were, we were actually literally told this, that if you were a guest speaker in a church somewhere or maybe even in your own church and you weren't the regular speaker but you were up there saying something, and the pastor of that church started going, amen, amen, that was your signal <laughs> to stop talking and sit down. I don't know if they were doing that or, you know, were they raising their hand? My turn, my turn. I don't know, but they were to follow some kind of orderliness so that the gifts could be shared and not just one person taking control and dominating the situation. Okay. Now, Paul anticipating a possible response to this instruction he says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. You know what he's saying there? He's anticipating someone coming back and saying, I can't help it. Spirit comes on me. I can't control it. And Paul says, yes, you can. And he says it right there, right? 
In other words, this gift, like the gift of tongues, does not send people into an out-of-control state, unable to stop their mouths. They can wait their turn and therefore can control what to speak and when to defer to another. Okay? Verse 33. For God, this is a great verse, isn't it? Is not a God of what? Disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. This is Paul letting the Corinthians know he's not just picking on them only. This is, this is, this is true for everybody. Any church that meets, that calls on the name of the Lord, they are to follow this, this orderliness that he is talking about here. So if a teaching is being given, it's, the Lord is not going to interrupt himself with some kind of prophetic outburst is what Paul is saying. For he is not the author of confusion. God would not inspire prophets to bring chaos to the worship gathering in Corinth. A paraphrase, I think, would be helpful here. When we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. Isn't that wonderful? And then this goes for all the churches, no exceptions. <laughs> now we come to the next two verses. How many are right ahead? <laughs> anybody want to? Anybody want to take my place right now? <laughs> I don't have to tell you these next two verses bring us to another topic that is highly debated and controversial in our day. But we're going to take it on. Amen. Amen. Let's read them. Verse 34 and 35. <laughs> Paul mixes no words, does he? <laughs> Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the Lord says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And you're all thinking, all right, Pastor Dave, what are you going to do with that? So does this mean that women should not speak at all in church services today? Well, let's just think about this. Paul's desire throughout has been to encourage the use of gifts. Has it not? Throughout. It is clear from chapter 11, verse 5, that women often prayed and prophesied in public worship. We see that there. It is also clear in chapters 12, 13, and 14 that women are given spiritual gifts and are encouraged to exercise them in the body of Christ. So what then did Paul mean? What is his intention with the use of this 
Greek word that we have translated as silent. In the Greek culture, women were discouraged from saying anything in public, and they were certainly not allowed to confront or question men publicly. Now, apparently, some of the women who had become followers of Christ thought that their newfound Christian freedom gave them a right to question the men in the public gathering, whether it be their husband or not. This was adding to the confusion and division in the church. It's possible that the gathering at Corinth, if it looked anything like a Jewish synagogue gathering, then that meant that men would have been sitting on one side of the room, women on the other side of the room. So imagine the scene. Betty yells across the room, Hey, Joe, what are you talking about? A couple of things going on here that I think Paul is addressing. One is that she very likely just humiliated her husband. And the other way that she may have done that is maybe Joe's not her husband. And he's just another guy in the church that he's, she's asking a question of. Okay? So adding to the disruption and to the confusion that would be going on. Now, watch this. The Greek word for silent used here is the word sagao. It happens to be the very same word Paul uses in verse 28 when he talks about those who have a, the gift of tongues, but if there's no interpreter, verse 28 in the NIV says they are to be, it says quiet, but it's sagao. It's the same word used in verse 30 where he tells the prophets. If somebody else has a message, then you need to sit down and stop talking. You need to sagao, the very same word. All three times, it is sagao. It's quit, it's stop, and now it's silent. Okay? Obviously, that did not mean that those individuals were never to speak in the church. Obviously, right? This would negate a person's gift. They were to remain silent when proper order called for it so that the church service would not be disrupted. Because both men and women were gifted with tongues and interpretation or prophecy, they would need to be allowed to speak in order to edify the church body. I will tell you that one of the most powerful message in my entire life that I have ever heard was given by a woman. And some of you know who Christine Kane is. She is the founder of A21. We were at a conference and she was one of the speakers. And folks, I am telling you, my heart was about to thump out of my chest. The Spirit of God was so strong and she was speaking in such a powerful, powerful way. I can even tell you, and this was years ago, that message was the message of passing the baton on to others. 
Christianity and discipleship and those kind of things. And, and it was like one of the most powerful things I have ever heard. There, are, there is no shortage of women in our congregations gifted and capable of bringing and delivering a message from God. I think it would be absolutely wrong to deny the body of Christ their gift and their message and what God can bring through them to all of us. I think of my own wife, gifted, capable to bring God's word to us. And when she does that, she does that with my blessing. It would just be wrong to do that. It's hard for me to imagine God giving a gift to someone, especially one that required the use of words to build up the body and then not allow them to use that gift. Now, let's also keep in mind that Paul is dealing with disorder and chaos in the Corinthian worship service and then noticing the actual context of these two verses, verses 34 and 35, we see that the issue of the speaking, Paul isn't addressing at all the topic of speaking to both men and women. He's addressing the issue of out of order asking a question. That's what he's addressing. It's not the topic of speaking and bringing a message that would be towards both men and women. That's not at all what he's even talking about. Therefore, in that regard, with, you know, in terms of a woman, she has a question. The right place to do that is not an outburst in the public gathering, but wait till you get home and, and ask your hubby about it. That's what he's saying. And so in that regard, that's when they should remain sagao <laughs> during the church meeting. Not because they were never to speak, but because they were not to speak out with the question that would be disruptive and, and, and ineffective with regards to edifying the church body. So Paul says if they have many questions, let them ask their husbands at home. But they should be submissive, Paul says, and that compares with his words back in chapter 11, verses 7 through 12, to keep the believers, all believers, men and women, in obedience with God's command towards the lines of authority. He says, just as the law says. Now, there is no clear reference here to what ref, uh, Old Testament passage or scripture that Paul might be thinking of. He doesn't really say. Scholars suggest that Paul may be referring to a generally accepted interpretation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Some of you know this verse. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So then a woman speaks, yet doing so, under the covering and the submission of her husband. Throughout this entire chapter, 
Paul has been dealing with various forms of disorder and confusion taking place in the Corinthian church, and his words to women are corrective, just as they have been to men, okay? Same, just as they have been to men. And so when Paul says here in verse 35, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church, and he's referring to, I think, in the topic here, in context, to their outbursts of questions, which would have been out of order, then on that note, and because he uses really the same word to those speaking in tongues, to the prophesiers, and now to the women, so God will be silent, be quiet, stop. Then therefore, it would be just as disgraceful if a man disregarded the commands and just kept talking in tongues without interpretation, disgraceful. Or if someone is going to be prophesying on and on and on and disregarding anybody else in the group, disgraceful. So the words here are corrective to both men and women in this regard. Okay, moving on. This entire chapter corrects the Corinthian believers regarding their insistence on the gift of tongues. Here's the deal, though, as a sign of being filled with the Spirit. In other words, some of the Corinthians were saying, hey, if you're not speaking in tongues, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. They were kind of passing that on. And allowing that mindset to overtake the church service. They have gotten off track. And we're leaving the gospel behind. So Paul asks with some holy sarcasm, as we've seen him do often, haven't we? I won't say often, but we've seen him do it before. Look at verse 36. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people... It has reached. In case you're missing it, that is holy sarcasm. <laughs> In other words, were they the apostles? Were they the ones who learned directly from Jesus Christ? The answer is, of course, no. Then why did they think that they could decide on their own what would constitute the way to conduct a worship service? The Corinthian church was out of line. And with what was acceptable behavior in the churches, Paul referring back to, I think, verse 33. And they needed to make some changes, correcting their disorder in order to get back on track. The Corinthians needed to recognize that all true believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and that that takes place at the moment of salvation. Amen? All right. And they all needed to understand that all will manifest different gifts at different times to match different needs. This variety, hear me now, this variety was the strength, is the strength of the church. This is why we all need each other. Amen? Yes, yes. Matt, is it the, it's the strength of the church for it provided them with all the necessary parts like a body that Paul talked about in chapter 12. 
in order to function properly and in balance. Verse 37. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Now, first of all, let me say, this is not Paul on a head trip, okay? Not at all. The authority of Paul's words as an apostle were to be understood and accepted as a command from the Lord. And any true prophet in their midst would acknowledge this. Anyone who claimed to be a prophet but did not recognize Paul's words as authoritative, basically Paul is saying is not a prophet and is not to be recognized as one. The lines of authority went from apostles to prophets. Chapter 12, verse 28 lets us know that. Paul was an apostle, so his authority was to be recognized and respected. And those who claimed to be prophets would prove it by their acceptance of Paul's authoritative word from God. Verse 39, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. With the words, therefore, my brothers and sisters, Paul closes this part of his letter with regards to their questions about worship on a friendly, grace-filled note. He truly loved these believers. He really did. He loves the body of Christ. He loves God. He loves the body of Christ. He loved these Corinthians, no matter how messed up they may have been. <laughs> he loves them and proves it by seeking to correct their errors so they could continue to grow in the Lord and not get sidetracked by anything that they did not need to be sidetracked by. They were to be eager to prophesy. He said it in verse 1. He says it here again. Because that is the more powerful tool for the edification of believers. But they should not forbid speaking in tongues because that too was also a true gift from the Holy Spirit. They must be sure that everything is done properly. And in order. And that would happen if they followed his instructions as he has laid it out here in this 14th chapter. Because of Paul's concern for the building up of the body of Christ and the salvation of the lost, the worship service should be understandable and marked by mutual love and respect and proper Christ-like behavior. They should be organized in a way to enhance communication, but not so as to stifle the spontaneous work and flow of the Holy Spirit. Worship 
is a vital component to the whole church. Would you agree? The quality of our worship forms a powerful expression of the reality of our conversion. I'm going to say that again. I want you to really get that. The quality of our worship forms a powerful expression of the reality of our conversion. Since we are loved by God, we seek to love him back with our whole entire beings. Our gatherings should be conducted in an orderly way so that we can worship, be taught, and be prepared to serve our great God. As believers, prepare for a worship service, and hopefully you do that. Hopefully before you show up down here on Sunday morning, you have spent some time acknowledging the Lord and giving to him this worship service and saying, God, however you want to speak to me, speak to me. Oh, Lord, come and fill the building with your presence and your power and your love. You're doing that, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Can I encourage you before you get here? Prepare to get here. Sound like good advice? So as we prepare for a worship service, we can do so with the knowledge of what to expect, but also, hear me now, but also in that preparation, preparing and anticipating God's ability to come and do the unexpected. That's who our God is, amen? To come and do the unexpected in our midst, which I believe will help promote a healthy balance between order and passion. I have always believed that as it goes with the individual saint, so it goes for the body of Christ. A lot of truth in that. Is your life marked with order and passion? Or is it filled with chaos because it's been a free-for-all in living for yourself? You see, not only does God long for orderliness to take place in his church, he wants that to be active and alive within our lives as well. Decide today to choose his order and his passion and then experience the peace and the joy that will follow. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift
And so you take that home, you open it up, you find that out, and you then you realize that you bought a box of chaos. The Christians at Corinth, the church at Corinth, you could say was a box of chaos. So therefore, having dealt generally with the the matter of speaking in tongues that we covered last week it is and its proper use in public gathering. Paul now turns to the more specific subject of how several of the questions that he has addressed in previous sections relate to the public worship gathering. Follow the way of love, which we saw at the beginning of this chapter. Follow the way of love in an orderly way, I think would be a pretty good summary statement of this 14th chapter. Paul wants the Corinthians to know their worship gatherings must be conducted in such a way in order to avoid confusion and to ensure that the Lord Jesus is clearly being portrayed. Those desiring to share their gifts must submit to the greater purpose of revealing Jesus since the primary goal of a Christian worship service is to honor Christ. Bearing witness to his self-giving love, his character, and his care. In the remainder of chapter 14, Paul gives some practical advice on how to accomplish the necessary order needed to reveal Christ at church gatherings. His main concern is that unbelievers will come under conviction that would lead to salvation and believers will be built up and edified, which can only happen if Christ is revealed. And he won't be if all persist on parading themselves rather than submitting themselves to the Lord. So let's jump in at verse 26 and see what Paul has to say. What then shall we say? <laughs> Don't you like that? Having said what he has said, which we covered you know, last week, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So highlighting the diversity of God's giftings, Paul now summarizes which, that which he has previously said with, what then shall we say? And sets the stage for some final instruction on the need for order in the worship service. As we have previously noted, the Corinthian church was having problems in their public gatherings because everything was in disarray. Their worship services had become a free-for-all, literally a free-for-all, and confusion was winning the day. Many were speaking in tongues, talking, praying, and singing their own personal songs all at the same time, mind you, okay? <laughs> Can you imagine? Each person wanting to get in their latest inspiration and spiritual insight. 
Everyone was just doing their own thing. Pride, self-centeredness, super spirituality, and division prevailed instead of respect, humility, unity, edification, and of course, love, decency, and orderliness were totally lacking in this Corinthian church. The reason isn't hard to see. In fact, we've already seen it, haven't we? They were using their spiritual gifts to please themselves and not to help their fellow believers. You might say their motto was exhibition instead of edification. And so this whole section from verse 26 down to the end of this chapter at verse 40 is framed by the same statement only put in two different ways. Once again, look at the end of verse 26 there. It says, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And then look at the very end of verse 40. If, it's, if you have to flip the page, he says at the end of the chapter, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. You see how that's bookend between those two statements. Paul's list of worship elements that he mentions in this 26th verse, I don't believe is intended to be exhaustive or to indicate that each of these particular activities must be present in every worship service. I think it does, however, connect really well with what we find in Acts chapter 2 with what Luke has given us there to show us how the early church, the beginning first church was operating. Terms like teaching and fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer and miracles, sharing of finances, praising God and evangelism. A pretty good matchup there, I would say. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Because all activities done in corporate worship must be done to help and build up the folks in the church, the believers, Paul described how the gift of tongues, as we again saw last week, can still be useful. He had already said that tongues are not beneficial in the public gathering without the interpretation, right? We saw that in verse 5. And certainly not even when everyone is speaking all at once. We saw that in verse 23. Tongues can be edifying to everyone if a few simple rules are being followed. First, if anyone in the congregation, Paul says, has the gift and can speak in tongue, then only two or three, no more than three, can do it. They should speak. However, the emphasis, but one at a time. <laughs> the other requirement for use of tongues in public worship is that someone must interpret. Either the person speaking can interpret for themselves if they happen to have that particular gift, or another person with that gift should interpret what was said into a known language so that people can be edified. If those with the gift 
of tongues know that they do not have the gift of interpretation themselves, and they also happen to realize with the church that they belong to that that other person who perhaps has that gift, but maybe isn't there that particular day, isn't there to interpret. He doesn't see anybody else with that gift. Paul says, and then that person is to remain quiet. And what we find here is Paul, I think, again, alluding to that private public distinction that we looked at last week. Certainly private time at home. And I think that there even is room for that in a worship service like this, like what we just done. If you are being moved in your heart to worship Lord and and then use a prayer language type thing that God has blessed you with, you can do that quietly to yourself. Doesn't have to be out loud where it would cause confusion. And Paul says, and then in that way, you're blessing yourself and blessing God and, and without causing a disruption. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So just as Paul placed some regulation on the speaking in tongues, he does the same with the gift. Remember that Paul had recommended to the believers back in verses 1 and 5. He realized that its use also needed to be regulated by love, edification, and order. Just as only two or three people should be allowed to speak in tongues, so only two or three prophets, those who have been given the gift, should speak. And then everyone else was to, he, Paul says, was to weigh carefully what is being said. The word for weigh in the Greek means to judge, discern, and evaluate carefully what was being said, making sure that it was a message from God in line with what they had at the time, the Old Testament scripture. Verse 30. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may um, be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. In order for the worship service to continue in an orderly manner, further guidelines are needed. These words, I think, might have been a little bit directed to those who may have had the tendency to dominate. We've all been around those, haven't we? And I'm not going to say any more about that. <laughs> Paul wants those with the gift of prophecy, to follow a protocol of generosity. That's what he's talking about here. Toward one another. If someone received a revelation while another was speaking, then the first speaker must stop. Now, I was thinking about this, so how was that going to happen? There must have been some sort of signal, <laughs> some sort of sign. I was thinking 
back when I was attending Bible college, they told us in Bible college, if you are like a guest speaker somewhere, or maybe even, you know, not the preacher, but one of the folks in the church and you're up there talking about something, and you start to hear the preacher say, amen, amen. That was a cue for you to shut up and sit down. <laughs> I say it all the time here, and Kenny keeps talking still. <laughs> I don't know if they had some sort of sign. Was it like, <laughs> or, you know, someone raised their hand, it's my turn, my turn. I don't know, but that's what Paul is saying. Someone was, a, you know, someone else had a, had a word that they have received from the Lord. That one who was previously talking was to stop talking so that the next person would have their go at it. In other words, this gift, like the gift of tongues, is not, um, you know, when Paul talks here about the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, I, I appreciate that he put that in there. And some of those who maybe had the tendency to dominate may not have appreciated it, but I like it because I think Paul is anticipating a certain kind of response to what he has just said. Like, a response that would go something along the lines of, hey, when the Spirit comes on me, I can't help myself. And Paul is cutting them off before they even have an opportunity to go there. He says, yeah, you can. You can. In other words, he says, this gift, like the gift of tongues, does not send people off into a state of, out of being out of control. Unable to stop their mouths. This can... They can wait their turn and therefore can control when to speak and when to defer to someone else. Now look at verse 33. Another good verse. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You believe that? Yeah. yeah. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Again, Paul letting the folks in Corinth saying, I'm not just picking on you. This is how it is to be wherever there is a church that is calling on the name of the Lord. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. If a teaching is being given, the Lord is not going to interrupt himself. Do you believe that? I think so. He's not going to interrupt himself with some kind of prophetic outburst. For he is not. Paul tells us, the author of confusion. God would not inspire prophets to bring chaos to the worship gatherings in Corinth or anywhere else for that matter. A paraphrase, I think, is, would be helpful here of verse 33. A paraphrase is what the message is. It reads for verse 33, when we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. And then it says, this goes for all the churches, no exceptions. Now, we come to the next two verses. <laughs> I need to know something before we go there. Are you still going to love me after? Okay. 
I had this thought this week. Dave, why did you decide to go to 1 Corinthians? Because <laughs> I don't have to tell you that these next two verses present a topic that is quite controversial in our day. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm going to present is how I believe the word is describing it. And again, not everyone sees it this way. Verse 34. Paul mits, mixes no words, right? He just gets right to it. <laughs> Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. How many of you glad you're not preaching right now? <laughs> so does this mean that women should not speak at all in church today? Paul's desire throughout this letter, throughout these few chapters that have been dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, has been to encourage the use of the gifts, have they not? Yeah. It is clear from chapter 11, verse 5, that women often prayed and prophesied in the public worship. We see that. It's clear. It is also clear in chapters 12 through 14 that women are given spiritual gifts and are encouraged to exercise them in the body of Christ. So what did Paul mean? What is his intention with the use of the Greek word that we translate as silent? In the Greek culture, women were discouraged from saying anything in public, and they were certainly not allowed to confront or question men publicly. It wasn't a whole lot different for the Jewish culture either. Apparently, some of the women who had become followers of Christ thought that their newfound Christian freedom gave them a right to question the men, husbands or not, in public worship. And so this was adding to the confusion and the division in the church. And so it is possible, I think, that if their gathering resembled anything like what the Jewish synagogue gathering looked like, that meant then that men... So imagine the scene. Something's been said, and one of the ladies, and, and amidst all the chaos, mind you, okay, because everyone's doing everything, it's a free-for-all, some lady stands up and yells across the room, Hey, Joe, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, something was said, some revelation, and she has a question. She wants to know about it, and so she blurts out, and throws out that question out there and adding to the disruption and to the confusion that's already happening. Okay? The Greek word for silent, interestingly, is used here. It's the word sigao. It's the same word that we find in verse 28 when he tells those who don't have an interpreter to be quiet. Same word. It's the same word used in verse 30. 
when he tells the one who's been prophesying and someone else has a word to stop talking. Same word, sagao, as we find here in verse 34, 35. So to the one in, with the interpretation problem, they're to stop if the necessary requirement isn't there. Same applies to the ones with the prophecy gifts. Obviously, I think we would agree that, that this did not mean that these individuals were never to speak in the church. This would negate the person's gift. They were to remain silent when proper order called for it so that the church service would not be disrupted. Because both men and women were gifted with tongues, interpretation, or prophecy, they would need to be allowed to speak in order to edify the body of Christ. It's hard to imagine God giving a gift to someone, especially one that required the use of words to build up the body and then not allow them to use that gift. Let's also keep in mind that Paul is dealing with disorder and chaos in the Corinthian worship service and, that note, and then noticing the actual context of these two verses, we see that the issue of speaking here to which Paul refers to was the inappropriate asking of questions. That's what he says. When he says be silent, that is followed with, I think, what he's got in mind when he makes the statement with the question thing, okay? Inappropriate asking of questions that would cause a disruption in the worship service or take it on some kind of tangent. So therefore, in that regard, is when the women should be silent during the church meetings. Not because they were never to speak, but because they were not to speak out with questions that would be disruptive and ineffective with regards to edifying the body of Christ. Paul says, if they have any questions, well, then let them ask their husbands at home rather than disrupting in the public gathering. That they should be submissive compares with Paul's words back in chapter 11, verses 7 through 12 to keep the believers in obedience with God's commanded lines of authority. Just as the law says is what Paul says. Now, there is no clear reference here to an Old Testament passage. Paul does not just flat come out and quote one. He just says, as the law says. Scholars suggest that Paul may have been referring to a generally accepted interpretation of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, which says to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So then, a woman speaks and can speak, yet doing so under the covering and submission to her husband. Throughout this entire chapter, church, Paul has been dealing with various forms of disorder and confusion taking place in the Corinthian church. And so his words to women are corrective, just 
as they have been towards the men. On that note, when he says that it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church, I believe in line with, with the question issue during the thing, then it would have to be just as true that if a person disregarded the requirement of speaking in tongues, whether there was an interpreter there or not, would be just as disgraceful. Or the person with the gift of prophecy going on and on and on and not allowing anybody else to speak would be just as disgraceful because of the order and balance that Paul is trying to bring to the Corinthian church. Okay, moving on. The entire chapter corrects the Corinthian believers regarding their insistence on the gift of tongues as a sign of being filled with the Spirit. There were some in the Corinthian church who were pushing that kind of uh, doctrine, that kind of thinking, and allowing that mindset to overtake their church services. In other words, if you weren't speaking in tongues, then you did not have the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was the kind of attitude that was happening. They have gotten off track, <laughs> to say the least, right? And were leaving the gospel behind, making it all about tongues and that gift and not even bringing the gift, the gospel message with it. So Paul asked with some holy sarcasm as we've seen him do before, right? Look at verse 36. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? <laughs> In other words, were they the apostles? Were they the ones who learned directly from Jesus Christ? The answer is, of course, no. Then why did they think that they could decide on their own what would constitute the way to conduct a worship service? The Corinthian church was out of line with what was acceptable behavior in the churches, Paul says, referring back, I think, to verse 33, what he said there. And they needed to make some changes, correcting their disorder in order to get back on track. The Corinthians needed to recognize that all true believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Good. And that happens at the moment of salvation, correct? And Paul wants them to know that they all will manifest different gifts at different times to match different needs. Now, why do I say this? Why does Paul want them to know that this variety was the strength of the church? Okay? For it provided them with all the necessary parts as a body. Chapter 12, remember that? Paul talked about that. In order to function properly. Now look at verse 37. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, 
they will themselves be ignored. Now, first let me say, this is not Paul on a head trip, okay? The authority of Paul's words as an apostle were to be understood and accepted as the command of the Lord. And any true prophet among them would acknowledge this, is what Paul is saying. Anyone who claimed to be a prophet but did not recognize, Paul says, was just not to be recognized. The lines of authority went from apostles to prophets. We saw that back in chapter 12, verse 28. Paul was an apostle, so his authority was to be recognized and respected. Those who claimed to be prophets would prove it by their acceptance of Paul's authoritative, God-given words. Now, verse 39 and 40. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. With the words, therefore, my brothers and sisters, Paul closes this part of the letter with regards to the questions about worship on a friendly, graced, filled note. He truly loved these believers. He really did. And he proves that by being willing to speak to them and help correct them in their errors so that they could continue to grow in the Lord and not be sidetracked by anything. Because right now they really are sidetracked. They were to be eager to prophesy, Paul says. And he said that in the start of chapter 14, verse 1. Because that is the more powerful tool for the edification of all believers. But they should not, Paul says, forbid speaking in tongues because that is also a true gift from the Holy Spirit. They must be sure that everything is done properly and in order. And that would happen if they followed his instructions as provided in this chapter. Because of Paul's concern for the building up of the body of Christ and the salvation for the lost, the worship service should be understandable and marked by a mutual love and respect and proper Christ-like behavior. Amen? They should be organized in a way to enhance communication, but not so as to stifle the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit. Again, that balance and in passion. So church worship is a vital component. Would you agree? And it isn't just singing, of course, a part of it, but worship as the body of Christ is a vital component to the whole church. The quality of our worship forms a powerful expression of the reality of our conversion. I want to say that again because I want that to really land 
in your hearts. The quality of our worship forms a powerful expression of the very reality of our conversion. Since we are loved by God, we seek to love God back with our entire being. Everything that is within us. Our gathering should be conducted in an orderly way so that we can worship, be taught, and be prepared to serve our great God and others, of course. And as believers, prepare for a worship service. And I certainly hope you do. Just Here's just an encouragement for you if it hasn't, occurred to you that before you show up here that you could actually spend some time preparing your heart yes. and praying yes. and seeking the Lord before you get here? Just saying. <laughs> Might be a good idea. So as believers prepare for a worship service, they can do so with knowledge of the expected, but also, please hear this, but also, in that preparation sh should anticipate God's ability to do the unexpected. Hmm. Which I believe will help promote a healthy balance between order and passion. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Y'all still love me? Oh, I didn't, that wasn't very good at all. You want me to sleep well tonight, don't you? You still love me? Yes. All right. We have communion over here in front of the cross, and you are encouraged to come and receive your elements, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and I thank you for these people and their grace <laughs> and their kindness and their patience and I thank you Lord that you live in them and your desire for them is to live for you and I trust their desire continuing to increase in living for you loving you more and this world less desiring to be emptying of themselves so that you can come and fill all of us with your spirit and then use us however you would choose to use us. You are a good God, a God full of grace and love, and your intention is to use us to advance your kingdom, all for your glory and for your name's sake. And so, God, we say to you, be all the glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.